Welcome. It's good to see everybody here this morning. Glad you're here to open up the Word with us, uh, going through the book of Ephesians. And as we're going through the book of Ephesians, it's going to take us an entire year. And I'm kind of happy it's going to take us an entire year because for me, it's been a lot of fun. Lots of meat in the book of Ephesians as we unfold Paul's letter to the book um, to uh, the church in Ephesus. As we're looking at this letter, um, you will see that Paul starts off the letter by saying that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing from the heavenly places. And then we've been given the download of blessings that we've had, which we've been chosen by God, we've been adopted, we've been redeemed, we have wisdom and insight, we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, we have salvation, and then last week we talked about grace, and then this week we're going to talk about a spiritual blessing which has been given to us, which is the body of Christ, um, the church. If you look at the uh, last couple weeks, as I mentioned before, you have the salvation message, the gospel message given in chapter 1 um, from God's perspective, and then you have the gospel message given in chapter 2 from our perspective. And as we looked at the gospel message, it's not, um, it's not uncommon for Paul or any of the apostles um, within the Word of God to go right to the blessing of the church directly after the gospel message is given, as if it's one of the almost largest blessings, one of the largest blessings that we receive, which is a church. In fact, if you look at the book of Acts, Paul, or Peter gives the gospel message. He says, Jesus is Lord, Jesus died, Jesus rose, Jesus exalted, and this is right at Pentecost. The people respond to that by being convicted, and then they say, what do we do, Peter? And he says, what you need to do is you need to repent and be baptized. And then after they repented and be, was baptized, 3,000 people did it, he then gave the blessings of what you receive after repentance and baptism. And then in Acts 2, we see you get the forgiveness of sin, which is a blessing. You get the Holy Spirit, which is a blessing. And then you get the church, which is the other blessing, and then a mission. So you're going to get the church pretty consistently after the gospel message is given as one large blessing. See what happens when we receive Christ as our Savior and Lord uh, we are given heaven. Well, God doesn't want it to stop there. In fact, once you're given heaven by God, after you receive Christ as your Savior, there's an expectation that you now give heaven to the world, and the way that you give heaven to the world is, is through the church. I grant you heaven, now give heaven to the world. You're connected to this body that functions with the power and beauty of the gospel, with the Holy Spirit present in your life, with all the spiritual blessings now give it to the world. Now give it to the world. So here in this passage, Paul gives us a blessing, which is the church. And let's just read it and work through it. It is one of the most powerful passages in regards to the church in the Bible, I believe. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 says this, Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility." abolishing in his flesh the law with the commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross 
by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We just want to break that passage up into two different sections. The mission of peace and then the structure of peace, as you notice right in the center, they want to break down the walls of hostility and provide peace to people and peace to this world. So what is the mission of peace? Number one, the church should provide the world a taste of heaven by its peace. We live in a crazy world where there is death. Uh, Just on Friday, we had a service of a 63-year-old man who passed away who um, struggled with cancer for many, many years. And whenever we go to the service, it's just a reminder of uh, the consequences of sin. But I'll tell you, the reminder of the consequences of sin is we're all going to die it hurts. It's not good. It's depressing. It is oppressing. And then last month, we had a 16-year-old girl die. We did the service here as well with a lot of emotion that has taken place. It's a crazy world that we live in, a crazy world of death, a crazy world of war, financial struggles, broken families, broken people. There should be one place on this planet that you would be able to find peace. And do you know the one place on this planet you should be able to find peace? is within the church walls, is within the church walls. Anybody who walks through the door should walk in here and say, this is the most peaceful place on earth. In fact, you just look at the, the, the walls of the church, it's just like joy is just springing off the walls of the church. In fact, freedom is just in the air that you breathe when you walk into the church building, when you're around people. Freedom and excitement and joy and unity within our midst. It seems like you walk in the door and if you're a visitor that everybody just loves each other. This is what the church is supposed to look like. Everybody just loves each other. Everybody's connected with each other. Everybody like has no grudges, zero grudges in the room. Everybody's not hostile at all at each other. There's no gossip. There's no anger. There's no frustration. This is the place that God says, I want to bring heaven to earth and it is right inside my body, right inside the church where they're completely unified, loving, consistently, constantly, and everybody that comes in the door, completely connected. Everyone loves each other, everyone accepts each other, everyone forgives each other, no one grudges and there's no anger, there's no walls of hostility whatsoever. That's the mission of the church. That is the mission of the church. And that is the heaven that God wants to give on this planet. For everybody on this planet is the church, the body of the church. So how does he structure this this taste of heaven, this taste of peace? Let's work through the passage because he builds a structure of this taste of heaven throughout the passage. A structure of peace is what? The church is a new humanity. This is how I'm going to structure the church to, uh, to give peace to the world. you look at the top of the passage, you start talking about Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles are two different races. They're two different cultures. 
They have two different gods. They have two different worldviews. They have two different laws. One is God's chosen people. One is not God's chosen people. They're completely at odds with each other. They do not see eye to eye on anything. If there's two people that are going to be separated, it's going to be Jews and it's going to be Gentiles. But what does God do with the Jews and Gentiles? Look at the passage starting in 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with the commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. He is going to take two races, two cultures, two different gods out of two different people, two different worldviews, two different laws, and not take two people and put them together, but make one new person, one man out of the two, one person out of the two. Two people that should not get along are now going to get along. Two people that do not see eye to eye are going to completely and entirely see eye to eye. Two people that are walking two different directions are now going to be completely tied into not walking one direction. And he calls this a new humanity, a new race, a new culture, a new kind of people, and that is somebody who is connected to the church. Jews, Gentiles, a new kind of person. One of my best friends is, is a guy um, from Africa. We go to Africa. I go to Africa at least once a year, and sometimes twice. And Ben Margai, um, I work with, and uh, he's a close friend. I communicate with him consistently over um, over the email, and, and we are completely different. In other words, um, I weigh 265, 270 pounds. He weighs a little over 100 pounds. So, I mean, my height is different, and, and he's, a, he's a really short, just a little tiny guy. I eat three meals a day. He eats, he eats one meal a day. He's coal black, and I'm white. He just calls us salt and pepper. I mean, we're just, we're, you know, we're just completely, completely different. I speak one language, and he speaks five languages. Um, I grew up in a country where there was peace, and in his childhood, he was running from war in the bush, his entire, his, practically his entire childhood, just to hopefully you survive. So if you look at us from the outside, um, there is nothing in common between me and, uh, and Ben Margai. However, me and Ben Margai have more in common than my neighbor down the street that does not know Jesus. We have more in common than my neighbor that does not know Jesus. And the reason why is because we've both been given new hearts. According to the passage, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. You have a changed heart on the same plane, with the same mind, with the same worldview, with the same uh, desires, the same aspirations, the same gospel, the same rules, the same laws, we know each other. Why? Because we've been brought underneath Christ. We've been brought underneath Christ. We have the same mission because we have the same heart. See, what happens is that when you built the church, when Jesus built the church, he's creating two men and making them absolutely one so they function in a body of peace and function in the body of unity. 
In other words, when you go under Christ, you have the same king, you have the same focus, you have the same purpose, you have the same home, you have the same way of spending money, because we open up the word of God and says, well, this is what you should look at money. We have the same worldview, we have the same identity, and we're looking at the world exactly the same. That is the power of the church. That is the power of the church. And that is the heaven that God wants to provide to the world. So when people walk in the door, it's like, what is with these people? They all function in the same way that everybody functions together, the two people being one. What is different about these people? When Jesus died, when he rose, he got rid of all social class, got rid of all racial class, got rid of all the pecking order, got rid of all the, the poor and the rich. He put us all on this one plane, which is right in front of Jesus. And we are saved by Christ and Christ himself, and no matter where we've come, no matter who we are, no matter what race we are, we're saved under his head, bringing us together. He does not put two kinds of people together. He calls the church and says, I'm going to create one person out of the two, and this is called the body of Christ. This is called the body of Christ, a new humanity, thus structure and peace. Number three, the church is embraced by a perfect king, you know, you look through the Bible and you see kings, and uh, back in the day they have lots of wives, and uh, I mean, Solomon, I mean, he had 500 wives, you think, well, he must have really liked women. Um, well, if you look at it, getting a new wife was a political move, we'll put it that way. So in other words, if there is a country that were going to make an alliance with each other, and they were going to be peace, what do you do? If it's, if it's going to be an alliance, and there's going to be a contract the king would then give one of his daughters to the other king. And that would be a contract to say, we are now going to have peace. And the reason why you'd have peace is because if you give your daughter away, your daughter is going to have children. And if they have children, if you go to war with that country, you're going to be killing your grandchildren. See, it is an alliance of peace. Within family walls, in fact, the family walls is the structure of peace. That is the power of peace. In fact, you can't have peace unless your family... Ephesians 2 says this, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Access to the single Father by how many spirits? Two, three, four? No, by one Spirit, and he calls him Father. We all have the same Father under the same household. What's interesting about Father God is that he is our Father, part of our family, but he is also our Master. He is also our King. And the reason why the Bible consistently even says Father, 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 because it wants to display what kind of relationship that God has with us and wants to have with us. Yes, he's king, and yes, he's master, but he acts and behaves like a father. But let's just look at the concept of a father being a master. Because remember what God wants to do, give heaven to earth, where we completely have unity and have peace. Think about this for a second. If a master... If a father is our master, will we live in a good, comfortable society? Would we live in a good, comfortable church? Will we be unified? Will we have peace? If you just look at the concept of a master, every single master in this planet will eat you alive. But the father, which is God, is the only master that will not eat you alive. In fact, let's just look at masters in regards to things that masters in this world. If you look at money, and say money is your master. If money is your master, then you'll never have enough. You will always be ruled. You'll sacrifice your family to get it. You'll sacrifice your reputation to have it. Money is literally mastering you. It's an object. 
that can master you. It has no patience with you. It has no forgiveness with you. It wants to do nothing but use you and destroy you. And oh, I'd just love to be your master. What about appearance? If appearance is your master, you'll always feel ugly. You'll feel like everyone is watching you. You'll feel like everyone is judging you. You will walk in the door and you will judge others. You will walk in the room and then you'll measure everybody up by your own appearance if your appearance is your master. As we judge everybody up, is that person thin or is that person not? Is that person look? And all of a sudden judgment starts to take place if appearance is your master. If power is your master, you always feel weak, afraid. You always put others down to build yourself up. You'll always isolate yourself if it is your master. If your master is intellect, you'll feel stupid all the time. You'll feel like a fraud. You'll always be worried about somebody finding out who you are, and you'll always be lifting yourself up for the purpose of putting people down for the purpose of lifting yourself up. Let's see what happens if your father is your master. The father God is your master. He is not going to eat you alive. His purpose is to make you alive. And if his purpose is to make you alive and the person sitting next to you alive, peace just takes place in the room. Unity takes place in the room. Judgment is completely and entirely out. Do you see what Christ is doing? He's putting us under the head, which is the Father. He's putting us under the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, our master is a master that does not want to eat you alive, but make you alive, thus providing peace in the room, thus providing unity in the room, thus destroying all lines of gossip, thus destroying all lines of judgment, thus destroying everything that is there that ruins us as human beings. Again, for the purpose to give heaven to this world through his church. People walk in the door and say, what is with these people? What is with these people? They're one spirit. They're one mind. They don't hold grudges. They love each other. They don't judge. What is with these people? What's with these people is Christ died and put us under God, the Father, which is our head. And him being our master will not eat us alive but make us alive. Number four, the church gives us a blessing of citizenship under God's household. We are citizens of heaven. That is where we inhabit. That is our city, that is our home, that is our culture, that is our country. Now what is it um, on earth that is not in heaven? What is on earth that is not in heaven is sin. In fact, when you get into heaven, what's going to take place is sin is going to be completely and entirely removed. There will be no sin in heaven. Now, what happens if there is no sin? If there's no sin in heaven, you'll have freedom. You'll have peace. In fact, everything in heaven is going to be joy, happiness. Why? Because sin is going to be removed. So as long as we are on earth, what's going to happen? Sin is here. So as long as sin is here, there's going to be lack of freedom. In fact, there's going to be bondage because that's what, that's what sin does. If you look back at um, the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve first sinned, what took place? The, 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 the power of sin was saying, God, you're not my God. I am my own God, and I'll eat the fruit so I will be wise, so I will understand what is evil and what is right and what is good. It's either us being God or it's God being God. That's when sin entered the world. Well, that's, the, that's the, the nuances, that's the structure of sin, is I'm God or, or, or God is God, one or the other. Well, if I'm God, I'm going to live for myself, and as a result, sin is going to push out. Sin is going to destroy. Sin is going to bind you 
Sin is going to put chains on everybody I come in contact with because I'm God and God is not. And therefore, you would pay the price. So what God has done is God has said, I'm going to give you the church, since you're citizens of heaven, I'm going to give you this moral law so you'll find peace, so you'll find happiness, so you'll find freedom in this world. And this moral law is you do it, and you're going to get a taste of heaven on earth. You refuse to do this moral law, and then what's going to take place is that you will bind people. And you won't bind the people that have the loudest voice. You will bind the weakest people. So I just want to give you a little chart, a little explanation of this moral law that God has given to us. Here you have person one. This person has complete freedom. You have person two, and this person has complete freedom. And the reason why is because they both live on each side of these moral laws. The moral law is right here. It's in the center of the Bible. Let's go to the next slide. Well, if this moral law decides to move, what happens? It starts to take away this person's freedom. This person loses its freedom because this person has decided to, you know, encroach upon their freedom by just crossing the moral law. It just happens. That's just what takes place. Let's just give you an example. Say adultery happens. Somebody commits adultery. What happens? They broke the moral law. It brings the structure of a new law, which is right over here, and a person, which might be the mate, might be the children, is then bound by guilt, bound by insecurity, bound by lack of trust, bound by fear, bound by hurt, bound by anxious thoughts. Why? Because the moral law was broken, and you cannot have peace if the moral law is broken. So when heaven is going to take place, you can have this beautiful moral law with nobody committing adultery, so nobody will be bound by hurt, fear, or lack of insecurity. Just give you another example. Say somebody walks in your house and somebody robs you. Somebody crosses that moral law when somebody robs you, or you rob somebody else, you encroach on somebody um, else's freedom. Freedom of possession, freedom of security, freedom of peace, freedom of sleep, freedom of joy. So what happens, you just attacked this person and bound this person. Why? Because you chose, somebody chose to rob a house. God is saying, just, just hang on to the moral law. Just don't cross it. Because if you do cross it, unity is going to be destroyed. People are going to be bound and people are going to be destroyed. So let's look at another law which has taken place. Let's just say LGBTQ. Um, it's a law that is being passed in the United States, but is it a moral law? Well, if that law gets passed in the United States, it still has crossed the moral law. And if it crosses the moral law, there will never be, there's not peace. Why is there not peace? Children lose their freedom from having biological parents. Children lose their freedom for security, freedom of privacy, freedom of speech, freedom of peace, freedom of heaven. There is not heaven on earth as a result. But what takes place is even if our country is passing laws that go past the moral law, it's going to bring binding that is going to take place, and you will not see heaven on earth. So it is a struggle even that the churches are facing. And the reason why it's a struggle that the churches are facing because people just, I just don't understand why you won't believe this. I mean, the state even says this. It's like, no, we hold on to the moral law, which is a word of God, for the purpose of giving freedom and a voice to the one that does not speak. Therefore, you cannot cross the moral law. Quite a while ago, I had somebody in our church I was talking to in the foyer, and uh, he came for a couple weeks, and I said, thank you so much for coming. He goes, I just love it here. I'm like, good, we'll keep coming back. He goes, I'll continue to come back, but I need to know exactly where you stand in regards to LGBTQ. 
I said, well, you know, this is what the Bible says. And after I explained, you know, what the Bible says, he goes, yeah, it's what every church believes. It looks like I'll be going somewhere else. And my heart goes, oh, no, we want you to be here, but we can't lose focus of the one that does not have a voice and bound the one that is here because we cross the moral law. That's heaven on earth. Heaven on earth is having the moral law in place so the smallest that does not speak will have the same freedom on the oldest that does get to speak. If you lie, you steal people's freedom. If you're drunk, you steal people's freedom. If you cross the lines of moral law on abortion, you steal people's, child's, infant's freedom to even live. See what happens in heaven and what heaven is going to look like is there's going to be joy, there's going to be peace, there's going to be unity, and everybody's going to have it because there's going to be a beautiful moral law that nobody crosses. So here the church's goal is to provide heaven to the world. Provide heaven to the world. And even in a world where we say, well, how do, you, how do you do it? How do you do it? How do you do it? You can't cross the moral law. That's the only way people are going to see heaven. We can't cross it as individuals, and we cannot even cross it even as a perspective of voting on the lines. Why? Because the world needs heaven. And peace is granted to all, according to this passage, peace is granted to all if we align ourselves with it. Ephesians 2 says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's households, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. I've created the structure of the church for peace, for harmony, for unity, for strength, so we could all come in with one power, one mind, one heart, with a purpose of loving all, serving all, forgiving all, sacrificing for all, loving all kinds of people, being patient to absolutely everybody, but not crossing a moral line, keeping it strong. Number five, the church builds us together. We're looking for a structure of peace. The church builds us together. It's not going to stay stagnant. It's going to grow. I hiked Oregon on the Pacific Crest Trail, and, and I did it in one year. But the reason why I did it is because one of our secretaries, Barbara Hilton, um, she did it in six years. She was, every um, summer, she would go out in sporadic times and, and try to complete the entire thing in six years. And so she would always come talk about it. Um, after she, you know, completed a three-day hike, four-day hike, five-day hike, and come back and say, hey, this is what it looks like, this is what I did, and, and it kind of got me hooked on the Pacific Crest, and said, ah, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll try it. Well, we completed Oregon at the exact same time. In other words, we got to the Bridge of the Gods, which is in Washington, the exact same time, and we didn't calculate it being the exact same time, we just, I was, had a date that I was going to show up, and she already had a date on the calendar that she was going to show up, and I had to hike 50 miles in, in one day to, to make sure that I got there on time, but I wanted to walk across the line uh, together. In other words, she knew I was behind her, but I wanted to surprise her that we can walk across the line together. We didn't completely walk across the line together, but we were within 30 minutes apart from each other as we completed the task of Oregon together. And of course, she had all the lady secretaries as well that were there, and we all ate and we all celebrated of completing, completing Oregon. Ephesians 21 says, 2.21 says, in him the whole building is joined together 
and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord, and in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. We're not just people walking together, we're people harvesting off of each other, making each other stronger, encouraging each other, walking together under this one entire unit. The church is not a club. What a club is, is they get around something, and they huddle around this one object and say, well, as we huddle around this one object, what we're going to do is we're going to accomplish this object together, and you're shoulder to shoulder with people. But church is not a club. Weight Watchers is a club. You know, everybody's losing weight, so you sit there and you start talking about all the weight that you're losing, and you're at club shoulder to shoulder. You know, last, yesterday I was um, cleaning out trails on the motorcycle trip are on the motorcycle in Flomouth, they're building trails. And if you build trails for the entire day, then what you get to do is you get to ride with people that are on the trails. Well, you're building around something, but the church is not that. The church is an identity together. The church is an identity where I am a part of your life, you are a part of my life for the purpose of connecting us closer and closer and closer and making us stronger and stronger and stronger. Looking at that passage, we are joined together and rise to become a holy temple because we're joined together. We are built together, and we become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. We're not just in a club together. We're connected together for the purpose of making us stronger, for the purpose of building in us a spirit, for a purpose of building us into a body, for the purpose of making us stronger in God. So when we look at this concept of the church. It's just not a place to meet. It's not a, a place to walk in and, 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 and even to just worship. It's a blessing that God has given us. A blessing called a new humanity for the purpose of showing heaven to the world. A new humanity for the purpose of showing heaven to the world. And when you walk in the door, anybody walks in the door, they should have just peace written all over the walls. They should have joy written all over the walls. They should have life written all the walls as we are walking with one body, one soul, one mind, under one head, which is God. That is the taste of heaven that God wants to give the world. And that is the taste of heaven that we want to give Jefferson Baptist, that we want to give our community. We want to give Jefferson. That is the taste of heaven that we want to give our surrounding areas. That is the taste of heaven that God wants our country to give to America. So as we participate in this, Think about this. We're one body. We're one humanity, one mind, one heart, one will, joined together for one purpose. God, thank you for the blessing of a church. God, the church is um, one of the greatest blessings that we've received. We will live together for eternity, God, with one mind, one heart, one will, one desire, one moral law, for the purpose of being alive. Thank you, God, so much for this gift. And I just pray that we'll enjoy this gift on this world, God. Yes, we live in a world where there's sin, but I just pray that inside the church, all the sin, God, would just be washed away, that forgiveness would take place under any circumstances, that love would constantly take place, that all the dividing lines of hostility, God, that could be present, God, would just be completely and entirely, entirely removed. So when people walk in this door, they will see and taste a piece of heaven. Thank you so much, God, for this gift. In Christ's name, amen.